Being a leader is demanding, especially true for a man in his home, because that man battles his own maybe indifference at times. Don't bother me, I'm watching the game. I'm taking a nap. His own inexperience, not faced this before. His own inabilities, don't know how to do this. And what's more, he has to oversee mere mortals who might not want to go along with his leadership and his direction. And that's especially true when it pertains to children and teenagers. And I know that to be a reality. Before I had any kids, I was the perfect parent in my own eyes. I've learned a thing or two. And the only hope for victory is if I parent as God parents me. Then I know that I'm on the right, I'm in the right path, I'm in the right stream. If I will father as I am fathered by the Lord himself. Now, this is, the message is not just for those dads who have kids at home still. That, that wouldn't apply to me. It's not just for fathers of any age. It's not just for men. It's for all of us to be reminded of how God parents us as our Heavenly Father and we His children. For Galatians 3.26 says, we're all the children of God, but it's qualified by faith in Christ Jesus. Not everyone is a child of God. Only those who follow the Son have the same Father, the Heavenly Father. And so we can be reminded of that, and that's a good thing. And then fathers, dads with children at home uh, can really glean a lot from this text, I believe, um, if we give our attention on purpose. If you make your way to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians 6, and picking, it's really just verse 4 is what we're going to consider, but picking up the context in verse 1, Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 1, children obey your parents. In the, and by the way, this passage about family life and even uh, extending into employment is littered with imperative verbs, commands. In fact, if you'll notice in chapter 5 and verse 25, Husbands, love your wives. That's a command. It's an imperative verb. And you'll notice in chapter 6 and verse 1, children, obey your parents. That's an imperative verb. And in verse uh, 2, honor thy father and mother. That's an imperative verb. It's a command. As is verse 4 when it addresses dads, fathers. Continuing now, back to verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Dad, truly, you can only do what you can do. You might think, I can only do what I can do. That's right. But you can do that. <laughs> You actually can do that in the Lord. You can give yourself to biblical fathering. And how is that possible in a depraved culture in which we live? Folks, the world has always been depraved. 
we, uh, we bemoan, we lament the world in which we live now. The world has always been depraved. Amen? The people who don't know the Lord have always been lost and behaved according to that nature. It's expressed maybe more openly right now, but it's always been like that. And so the only means of victory, and we sang much about it. Mark did not know what I was going to share, and I did not know that we were going to have such militant hymns today. Stand up. Uh, Who's on the Lord's side? Put on the whole armor of God. Onward, Christian soldiers. And yet, in my notes that I already had uh, ready to go this week is Ephesians 6. Um, There it is. Ephesians 6, 10, 11, and 13. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. might. Put on the whole armor of God, the panoply of God, that you may be able to withstand, you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, stand. So you can do that if you are, in fact, a follower of Christ. You can parent biblically with ch- if you have children, and if you don't have children, you, you say, I'm single, I don't have kids, then use this as counsel for someone who does. I don't have children yet. Then save this for the time that you do, because God's Word, of course, is always contemporary. Biblical fathering will only be realized if it is intentional. I like what Adrian Rogers, uh, the late great preacher Adrian Rogers said one time, and really how I feel. I desire, my heart's desire is that I have godly children, but I will be a godly father. That is, I can be intentional. I can't make my child righteous, but I can intentionally purpose that I am going to lead the child in the way of righteousness for his name's sake. So I can do that. And dad, you can do that. So look at our text in verse 4. The word fathers in verse 4 is not the generic term for parent. That is given, in fact, in chapter 6 and verse 1, children obey your parents. Uh, that's the, uh, that's the, the parental unit, the uh, mom and dad. That's not the word here. This word here is the very same word that's used specifically in verse 2, honor thy father and the mother. There's a distinction uh, between those two, two different words. That's the word used here in verse 4. It is the male uh, in the household. It is the dad. Uh, that's the very one, one used here. And you've heard me, uh, you've, and you say, well, why, why do I care about that? Because Scripture is inspired Verbal, we believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture. You've heard me use that, that phrase or that term before, and it occurred to me maybe some don't really understand what does that mean, verbal plenary, P-L-E-N-A-R-Y. What actually does that mean? And, and I know what I mean when I'm saying it, but maybe there are some who don't. And I, uh, I found a, a, a good definition for it that I want to share with you. Verbal plenary inspiration is an important concept and tenet of the Christian faith. God's inspiration of the text of Scripture, and this is a key, extends to the very words themselves. Now, it doesn't say it in this definition, but I would say uh, the, uh, the way the word is used. So not only the word, but the syntax, the grammar, uh, and uh, the various uh, aspects of that. Because words matter, and how it's used in language is what is used to communicate. So we believe in the plenary 
verbal plenary that it applies to all parts of Scripture and all subject matters of Scripture. The doctrine of verbal plenary inspiration stands in contrast to the belief that only parts of the Bible are inspired or that only the thoughts or concepts that deal with religion are inspired. Verbal plenary inspiration is an essential characteristic of the Word of God as His words reveal who He is and what He has done for us through Christ. So, when Scripture says um, we're kept by the power of God, 1 Peter 1, 5. Uh, what, what does that mean? Well, it means ex- literally what the Word says, that by God's power, and He's omnipotent, we are held in His grip. And can you break the grip of God if He's holding you with His omnipotence? What's the answer? No. And no one else can break through that grip. If you are His, you are His eternal, er, etern- eternally. Ergo, we hold to the perseverance of the saints, the preservation of the saints. Once saved, always saved. That's just one example of every word matters in its syntax, that is how it's, in the, how it's written out in the original language, and in its grammar, of course, context uh, uh, presses upon interpretation. So I wanted to give you a little bit of a background of why verse 4 is addressing dad, because that is the word, uh, and it is used uh, uh, in distinction from mom uh, in the parental team. A couple of commands, and these are, there are two commands, again, there are two imperatives in verse 4. The first imperative we see is the negative exhortation. I think I'd rather even say the negative command, do not be a discouraging and exasperating father, because God is not like that. See, we're parenting as God parents us. In other words, don't provoke your children to wrath. The discouraging father, the exasperating father, will do something or fail to do, do something he shouldn't do or fail to do something that he should do, which will stir up discouragement, frustration in the child. Now, my, uh, my dad would, uh, uh, would uh, uh, reject his, his counsel now, being in heaven all these years, but uh, he got saved at age 50. He went to be with the Lord at age 55. Uh, so just a very short amount of time that he knew the Lord. So when my sister Mel and I were growing up, and I don't know, if Melody, if you remember this, I didn't bounce this off of her. He, I heard him say, mostly probably to me, uh, because of the two of us, me and Melody, who was the rascal? <laughs> what is it? Melody was the rascal? No. Wrong. <laughs> Melody never did anything wrong growing up. I did lots wrong. <laughs> and so he said to me, Vic, because I would challenge him, well, you don't do this and you don't do that. What about that? He says, do what I say, not what I do. Well, that is violating this text. He was provoking me, exasperating me, because basically he said, you have to obey, but I don't have to. I'm above rules and laws and principles and all. That was exasperating, and, and he would admit that now um, if given the opportunity. So you exasperate by ch- the standards moving. There, there's, no set, there's nothing set in stone. Hypocrisy in the lives of the parents. Insecurity uh, due to problems at home, in the marriage, and, and the like. Uh, preferential treatment, one child over another. Lack of family uh, communication and intimacy. Uh, harsh responses from the parents. Uh, uh, neglect of the parents and the like. Those are various ways that a dad can exasperate the child. In quoting theologian William Hendrickson, Thomas Constable wrote, Hendrickson listed some additional ways in which a parent 
may become guilty of exasperating their children, their parents uh, and their children, by overprotection, by favoritism, by, um, by discouragement, by failure to make allowance for the fact that the child is growing up, has a right to have ideas of his own, and need not be an exact copy of his father to be a success. And, uh, and young parents, take note of that third one, that fourth, that fourth one, um, because it's difficult. That transition is difficult. Been there, done that. My oldest has just turned 40. That, that transition uh, of no longer being a child, but now becoming a young man, a young lady, uh, one has to uh, navigate uh, those treacherous waters very carefully. Also by neglect, by bitter words, outright physical cruelty. So the fruit uh, of a discouraging parent is that a child is going to be stunted in any number of ways, certainly spiritually, which uh, is the most damaging of all. And then we see the second command in verse 4, the positive command, the positive exhortation, be a discipling father, one who disciples his children, bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Folks, biblical fathering is not only the absence of the negative, it's the presence of of the positive. It's not that you just don't beat or neglect or harsh toward your children, but that's, that's good. You, you're commanded not to do that. But it's also, you're also commanded with the positive, that is to pour into their lives um, that which God instructs. And so it's not the role of the Christian school. It's not the role of the youth group at church to raise and to nurture your children. Those are good supplements, but only to supplement what God has commanded you to do. It doesn't say in verse 4 that the body of Christ is to take primary responsibility. That It says, Dad, you are to take primary responsibility of that of your children. The, uh, the word nurture there. It's the overall spiritual training um, and bring a moral instruction, if you will. The admonition speaks of teaching, uh, putting into the mind, not just facts and rules, but actually uh, modeling what it means to live that out, the behavior that you're to model. I learned this, uh, and I learned it a little late, at least a little late for in my uh, context, in my family. I wish I would have known this uh, before my kids were born, but it's this. And I don't know who gave it to me. I can't remember. It might have come from uh, growing kids. God's was. I simply don't remember. But it's this. Parent small children with rules. No, you're a three-year-old. I'm the boss. I'm in charge. Now, you're not saying it, but that's, that's, the, that's the context. That's the dynamic. Here are the rules. You are to follow these rules. You parent a teenager not primarily with r- rules, but with relationship. I wish I would have known that uh, years before I had children, and that's a good principle. And so you admonish, you give, uh, uh, the admonition is uh, instruction based upon the level of understanding and maturity. It's not just telling, but it is showing, it is modeling. Now, let me get, if I may, very practical. Some practical applications for biblical fathering. And there's a, I don't mean to say this is exhaustive, but again, we're modeling after how God fathers us. And if, and if that's the standard, then we can't go wrong. It cannot be wrong. And so, see, you determine if you believe God parents us in this very same way. And if he does, 
then there's only wisdom in following those examples. The first that occurs to me is personal participation. That is, God is involved in our lives. He, he's the one who provided salvation. He woos his children to himself. Um, he's not too busy. He cares about us individually. It's not just that uh, we're all the, uh, the children of God. That's true. But you individually are, uh, are a child of God. Um, individually by name. He knows you personally. He knows you specifically. And I want to parent like that. Folks, a father who is so busy as to have little time in the spiritual development of his child is simply too busy. I mean, that's the bottom. There is, is there anything of greater worth than the soul of your child? And you are the one commanded to be the one who pours and invests into that child. And so personal participation is critically important. A godly father will always has, have his finger on the spiritual pulse of his children. Now, we have, we have biblical examples of how not to do it. For instance, Eli, uh, the priest in the temple, neglected, was not involved in the, in the uh, personal instruction and, and contributing moral, moral instruction to his boys, and they became absolutely wicked men. King David uh, apparently did not uh, pay enough attention to Absalom as he pursued a life of rebellion. And so, God is personally involved in all of our lives as our father, and dad, you would be wise to be that for your children. And it's not just taking them to soccer practice. It's not just providing uh, clothing uh, and the best education. All of that is wonderful. That's great. But it is the day-to-day, the day-in, day-out, moment-by-moment, spiritual, biblical instruction. Actually, what does the text of Scripture say? Yes, it's my calling to take care of all of us corporately, but it's not my calling to take care of your Johnny or your little Debbie or whoever it might be in your home under your roof. God says it is your responsibility to do that. I will not answer for that. But you will give an account of that level of stewardship. Personal participation. And then there needs to be, if I'm going to fulfill this, precise instruction. Just like God gives to us. We have clear parameters for what it means to follow His character. To be conformed to him, His image. We don't have to wonder about what God's like and what, uh, what are, are His... Um, his attributes and what are his characteristics and all, we know from the written word of God. And so, so too, um, a, a, a dad in the home should parent very much like that. Our Heavenly Father says what he means and means what he says. The soul that sins shall die. But God so loved the world that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Um, and we can have life. And so uh, children need to know where the boundaries are, where the parameters are, and clear instruction so that they can feel secure. Now, that, that's, uh, that's a common saying, but let me, uh, uh, let me offer this. You go to the zoo to see the animals, and I do as well. I am way more secure, and I feel more secure, and I sense my security when I know that the lions and the tigers and the bears are behind the fence. Amen? 
If they're not, I'm not feeling secure. I got to tell the story on Betsy. This is a good one. She's not here, so she can't defend herself. She went uh, hiking in, in, uh, in Colorado, the mountains, way up. I mean, they were 10,000 feet up with her two sisters and her sister-in-law. So Susie, Betsy, Priscilla, and Rachel. I said, now, Betsy, watch out for a bear. You cannot run a bear. She said, oh, Dad, I know. Uh, she, and, th- and then she came back and she says, I don't have to outrun the bear. I said, that's right, you don't. Can you outrun Rachel? No. Rachel's a soccer player. Can you outrun Priscilla? No. Priscilla was a college scholarship athlete. Can you outrun Susie? No. Susie weighs 98 pounds and has long legs. And then Betsy said, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Security. It provides it when you know where you are and, um, <laughs> and God doesn't allow us just to, to uh, wander around wondering what his will is. He has shown the old man what is good. Fear God, love mercy, walk humbly. That, uh, that, that principle. So, precise, clear instruction. And then, practical expectations. So, God has given us his word, and he expects us to follow him. And if I look at my children the same way God looks at me, then I'm going to do that as well. Now, how does God look at me? That begs the question. He looks at me as one he loves, and he has paid the price of redemption, but he also knows that I am but dust. Aren't you glad he knows that I am dust and that you are dust, right? Amen? Yes, you have this treasure in an earthen vessel, but it is just a clay jar that's easily broken. It's very fragile, and it wastes away. That's not an excuse. That's simply to tell us the kind of father he is to us, that his expectations are practical. That is, we can actually fulfill what he has called us to do. Can I, as a child of God, And he being my father, can I do what he commands me to do? He has already provided all things which pertain to life and godliness. I have everything I need to obey and honor him in a joyful spirit and with a humble attitude. And so, therefore, there's not anything he has called me to do that I cannot do as his child. Well, I need to parent that way as well. And here's a key, dads, especially with daughters. H. Norman Wright wrote in Always Daddy's Girl, that book, fathers need to be affectionately communicate, need to affectionately communicate love and acceptance for who the child is and not for what he or she can do. Oh, my. That is exactly how God parents us. God commended, he demonstrated his love for us in that, say it with me, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much he loved us when we did not measure up at all. Well, similarly, I need to parent, you should parent this way. Now, at one son, uh, three daughters. It seems to me, maybe you would refute this. This is especially important, dad with daughters. 
daddy and, 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 and daughter. So when my three were growing up, I don't even, I must have said it a hundred times in the course of 15, 18 years. Susie, daddy loves you because you're so smart. No, she would say. It's because you're so pretty. No, that's not why. It's because you always obey no matter what. Daddy, that's definitely not it. <laughs> well, then why does daddy love you so much? Because I'm yours. That's what she would say. And Betsy would say. And Priscilla would say. And I meant it, too. I actually meant it. It wasn't contrived. It wasn't pretend. It was actual. Who you are is more important to me than what you do or what you don't do. And so, dads, take note. And I like what H. Norman Wright wrote about that very principle. R. Kent Hughes wrote, What a fragile flower a child is. He can be so easily crushed by his parents. Or he can be made to blossom beyond expectation, bringing untold joy to his parents and himself. So a parent's practical expectations must be realistic and be sure they're not confused with acceptance because you should always be communicating and demonstrating acceptance not based upon performance. Amen? I don't always perform well as a child of God. And if you check, maybe you'd find that you haven't always either. But you've still been accepted in Christ. Practical expectations. And then, fourthly, uh, passionate determination. I have to be committed to this. I must have bulldog tenacity because I'm going to tire out. I'm going to become exasperated. The temptation is going to be. But I must not let go. I must not give up. Teaching and encouraging and praying and rebuking and guiding and protecting and providing and all of those things means uh, uh, parenting will require that. And you know, when you think about it, humanly speaking, the cost is worth uh, the, the commodity, for lack of a better way to phrase it. In other words, your child is worth it. And God deemed that you were worth it because he sent the eternal son of his love to be cruelly treated and to be abused by sinful man so that your, your redemption could be purchased. And so, Dad, Mom, don't give up. Grandma and Grandpa, don't give up. The stakes are too high. The price is too high. Hold on for dear life to the soul of your child because you know the enemy wants to steal him, to steal her for all eternity, right? Isn't that what the enemy wants, John 10, 10? The thief comes uh, not uh, but to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus said, but I have come that you might have life and more abundantly. And so hold on, pray for them, plead uh, to the Lord for their eternal life. Don't let go. And then fifthly, there should be prompt ramifications. There has to be. There is with God. Do you know that as a child of God these 46 years, I can sin with the best of them? I can't get away with it, though. I can't get away with it any longer. Not since I've been a believer. Did you notice that in your own life? Uh, it, was, it was startling to me when I got saved. 
I got saved, uh, uh, and the next day, I sinned in, in some way, shape, or form. I don't know what it was. Uh, uh, some vile word. I was in the Navy, active duty in the Navy, and I, uh, I raised uh, vileness to a, an art form before I came to know the Lord. And I must have walked into that the very next day, whatever. And all of a sudden, it struck me that God now knows. He was asleep all those years before because I wasn't, I wasn't, he didn't give me any alarm. But my, did I have an alarm go off in my soul at the point of salvation when it came to sin. In other words, there was prompt, instantaneous ramifications. It doesn't happen to me. Well, for what child is there who's not rebuked of a loving father? There aren't any. Every one are. And if you're not, you should seriously study whether or not you become a child of God. So, there is a place for tough love. One of my children, when at a young age, 10 years old, maybe 8 years old, asked me in a genuine way, not challenging, but it was about church discipline. And I was the pastor. And the question was, Dad, if the church is a family and we are, family of God, how is it that sometimes we kick members out? We are compelled to do that because we are a family. You see, we are a family, and love will not rejoice in iniquity, 1 Corinthians 13, but only in the truth. Therefore, within your family, there must be prompt ramifications on sinning members because of being family. And you're charged with that responsibility. We see that at least a couple of times, probably more of that in Proverbs. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it, foolishness, from him, from that child. Now, that's, that's, a, that's a truism. That's a, it's proverbial. Uh, it's not an unconditional promise. It's not intended to be. But it is saying that, generally speaking, across the board, foolishness is, it needs to be addressed with, with real consequences. Proverbs 13, 24. And by the way, uh, that's, not, that's not PC in our day. That is not politically correct in our day. And I wouldn't flaunt that, that practice, by the way, um, just to, to protect yourself against a, a corrupt culture. Proverbs 13, 24 says, He that spares his right hates his son, but he that loves him chastens him early or quickly, promptly. Because if I tell my child, and I give my child an instruction one time, and he violates it, he sins. But if I give two and three and four warnings, who sins? I do. Because I am allowing, I'm facilitating rebellion in that life. And rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. It's, it's haughtiness against God. I can reject your authority, God, is what that three-year-old is saying. And if I'm not going to parent as God parents me, uh, then there are going to be uh, major problems down the road. And so I train a child not to obey when he doesn't respond, she doesn't respond 
with first-time obedience. Now get ready for this one. With a good attitude. Well, how do you deal with that, preacher? You deal with it through much toil and prayer and crying. (laughs) On your part, by the way. (laughs) Children, you ever heard mom or dad quote, at the time of a spanking, this is going to hurt me a lot more and it's going to hurt you. It does. I did not delight in that. God does not delight in that. He delights in those who will revere him and honor him and delight in him. That's what the Lord wants of his children. Worship. That's what all eternity will be. And yet, he knows that we're dust. He knows that we can have a, 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 a moment of rebellion He takes my sin very seriously. I'm to take the sin of my children very seriously. Now, I'm saying that in the the present tense. Of course, you recognize all my kids are in their 30s and now 40s, so that doesn't uh, doesn't apply. Eh, It doesn't apply very much. Um. (laughs) Oh, so many anecdotes. Susanna Wesley after whom my firstborn daughter was, first daughter, not firstborn, but first daughter was named, had a strong word for parents. The parent who studies, that is, who is serious, to subdue self-will in his child, rebellion is another word for that, works with God in the renewing and saving of a soul. The parent who indulges it, that is rebellion, does the devil's work. Because it makes religion useless, salvation unattainable, and does all that in him, and does all that in him to damn his child, soul, and body forever. Now, that is entirely too Arminian for me. (laughs) And I I wanted to say that on the front end. But you understand the spirit uh, of it. You are commanded and called to train, morally train your children, and in fact, to a great degree, that is how they're going to understand who God is, what he has provided, and the, uh, the ramifications of not following him. Correction is administered in the context of age and maturity, ability to understand, but uh, I heard this 30, 35, 40 years ago. Very briefly, if the child can obey and honor in action and attitude, if he can, he must. Let me say that again. If he has the maturity, the understanding, the instruction was clear, there's no question about whether or not uh, there was the ability to follow that directive, then he must follow that directive. And if not, there must be a quick response in love, in seriousness, immediately from the parent. Because if there's not that, what does it say in, I think, Ecclesiastes? Because evil people do not face quick and sure justice, the hearts of men run to folly. You're sowing seeds of rebellion by not addressing 
that sin in the heart. If he can obey, if she can, she must in attitude and in action. Biblical fathering. Parenting your child as God parents you. You can't miss in doing it that way. And I don't mean to suggest this is an exhaustive list. You may have other qualities and thoughts that you're uh, uh, having in your mind right now of how that would play out as well. And, uh, and go for that. If it is consistent with the Word of God, then you will do quite well. So take this, follow the command uh, in the home. Uh, I'm still working on it with grandparenting. Uh, I, when, when, uh, when my daughter uh, was uh, carrying my first grandchild, I said, I want you to know that I don't ever see myself disciplining my grandchild. <laughs> oh, my. See, folks, I'm still learning. <laughs> I'm a work in progress, just like you are, okay? Amen? And so you intentionally be that work in progress. Mark, do you ever discipline your grandchildren? You don't have to answer that question. <laughs> A daughter-in-law sitting next to you. So, <laughs> Fulfill the role God has for you. And do so in faith unto the glory of God. You can't miss in that. Lord, I'm thankful for, for your word. Uh, it's, it's compelling. It's challenging. It's impossible were it not for the power of God um, providing all we need. And so, Lord, take this, your inerrant word, the very words inspired, and may we have faith to trust you in the difficult times and have a heart of obedience to believe you, to follow you. And let us model your character, your heart. For we who are your children, we, we would model that heart that you, of yours toward us. And so uh, have your will and way, Lord Jesus.